Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Tove. Quick reminder. Kyle mentioned tov, but just in case you are with us for the first time this week, the word tov is a, is a Hebrew word that means good, and it's found on page one of the Bible, and then it's found on a lot of pages after that, but on page one of your Bible, God makes the heavens and the earth, and every time he makes something, he stands back, and he says, oh, that's good. What I've made is good, and then he says, what I've made is very good, and that word good is the word tov. And there's this pattern kind of throughout the Old Testament where God has this plan for his good creation to interact with the world he's made in a good way. He has a plan for the people he gathers, for the people he's creating, for the nation he's creating to be a blessing to the rest of the world, to be a good blessing to the rest of the world. And they try and they often fail and, and in some ways, that's a pretty clear reason why he sends Jesus, right? Because they have tried to be this blessing to the world. They've tried to be this good influence to the world, but they keep getting it wrong. Jesus is the perfect representation of God sent to earth. All these other, all these other leaders of God's people were imperfect representations of God. Even, even King David, who we lift up on a high pedestal, King David we could attribute adultery to, we could attribute murder to, we could attribute a number of things that are tisk tisk bad boy to, right? Imperfect example of God. But Jesus is the perfect example of God. Jesus shows us what it means to be tov. There's this thing called sin, it is a part of the world. It's really messed things up. And sin, the Bible talks about sin a number of different ways. And one of the ways that the Bible describes sin is it describes sin as like debt, like financial debt that you can't get out from under. So think of like credit card debt as a modern term. Credit card debt that you've racked up that is so significant that you can't imagine, you can't figure out a way that you're ever gonna get out from under it. That's how significant it is. Um, another way that the Bible describes what sin is is it describes sin as, as shooting at a target and missing the bullseye. And, and what, what we did as followers of God is we said, we keep shooting at the bullseye and we keep missing the bullseye, so instead of getting better at shooting at the bullseye, let's move the target so that we can hit the bullseye. And, and so what Jesus did is said, guys, stop doing that. That's not right. <laughs> he said, look, you, you can hit the bullseye. Let me show you. And he lived this life in a way that showed us it's possible to be on target. He said, walk with me, follow me, let me show you the way. And so not only did the life of Jesus rid us of the, the burdensome financial debt that we could never get rid of ourselves, but the life of Jesus also showed us how to live on target, okay? The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of De Jesus set the slate clean for us. It gave us a path to Tove. And now, now this 
thing was left. When Jesus returns to heaven, he leaves behind his disciples, his apostles, to create this thing called the church, which is meant to continue his tov work on to the rest of the world. He gives them this great commission, this final commission. Take all that I have shown you, all that I have taught you, and take it, not just here at home, but all to the ends of the earth. Not just to the ends of the earth, but right here at home. I don't know which one you need to hear. Because some of us need to hear, take it really far. And some of us need to hear, do it right here and stop taking it so far, right? I don't know which one you need to hear. But Jesus said both. That's what the church is meant to be. Is this, this vehicle to do the tove work in the world. And the unfortunate truth is that along the way, just like individuals, the church has gotten caught up in missing the mark. And we've ended up with a church that has problems of abuse and problems of, um, well, stealing money and uh, just doing all sorts of stuff that is, it's not okay. And you all know that. We all know that. I don't have to describe all the ins and outs of it. The church has made poor decisions, right? Uh, That's what we've been talking about. And the reason that we're talking about it is not so that we can puff up our chest and say, well, not here. (laughs) We're we're better than that. It's not so we can talk about our brothers and sisters somewhere else in the country or down the street and say, well, never, never here. It's so that we can recognize what toxicity looks like and so that we can recognize what tove looks like. It's so that we can be prepared for someday when, um, when I'm not here, and maybe when you're not here, but we can prepare our children to lead a better church than we led, right? It's, it's for the future, and it's for right now. So today we are gonna talk about, let's see if my thing works today. Oh, it works, great. We're gonna talk about justice and loyalty today, um, which is why what Kyle just shared about fits in pretty good. So I wanna start with reading a scripture today. And I am reading from Luke chapter 14. And actually, I'm going to read it from here. So if you want to follow along, Luke chapter 14, verse 28 is where I am starting, and I'm going to read to 33. And I guess I have to clear this and go there. This is Jesus talking, and he's talking about the cost of being a disciple. And so those of you who are looking for this, while you find your spot, one of the things we talked about last week is something called cheap grace. And cheap grace is basically the idea of talking about following Jesus, but never talking about there being a cost of following Jesus. It's saying, come on, let's all go. It's all hunky-dory, it's easy to do. There's no cost to this, it's easy. There is a cost. And if we never talk about the cost of following Jesus, then we are doing a disservice every time we tell somebody to come follow Jesus. There is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost to being tov. There is a cost to doing the right thing. Always is. Don't let anybody tell you there's not. If there was no cost to doing the right thing, everybody would do the right thing. If it was the easy thing to do, everyone would do it. But it's not the easy thing to do. There's a cost to it, which is why so many people don't do it. There's a cost to following Jesus, which is why many people won't choose to do it. Or they'll choose an easy, watered-down version of it. Because truly following Jesus has a cost. 
So Jesus is talking to his disciples in this moment, and he is telling them, there is a cost to following me. And that's where we're picking it up. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. There is a cost, and Jesus is saying, count it. Count it before you come. Don't come halfway, having never counted the cost. That's silly. Count it before you come. Here is my outline for this morning. I'm putting it up on the screen for you so you know where we're going. That doesn't tell you too much, but if you're a person who likes to follow along to know how much is left, it'll at least tell you that. A few years ago, I took a job as the executive director at a nonprofit that's connected to our denomination of churches. I hadn't been there very long, just a few months. But I was there long enough to know that the nonprofit that I was now in charge of was in serious financial trouble. And nobody knew. The board didn't know. Only I knew. I knew that it was serious enough that we probably weren't going to make it to our 70th anniversary. Serious enough that instead of going down in history as the youngest executive director, I was probably going to go down in history as the executive director that was going to shut down this 68-year-old ministry. One day, the maintenance director stopped by my office and asked me to hop in his truck because there was a problem that he wanted to show me. This wasn't an uncommon thing. I hadn't been there long, but my days, almost every single day, was full of somebody stopping by my office and asking me to go with them to show me a problem that they needed to have a solution to, which is fine because that's what a leader does, and I know that, but that's heavy every day. We drove for a few minutes, and then we parked. We got out of the truck. He grabbed a shovel, and we led, he led me over to a stump that was covered in dirt. He scraped the dirt off the top of the stump, and then he brushed it clean with his gloved hand. We knelt down, and he pointed at the center of the stump where there was a dark stain. And he said, do you know what that is? And I said, no, I have no idea. And he said, smell it. And at first I thought it was a weird joke, and I thought if I bend over and smell that thing, he's going to shove my face into something. And then I thought, I'm the boss. I'm not here that long. He's not going to do that. So I bent down, and I smelled it. And it smelled like gas or maybe oil. And I said, is that oil? And he said, yes. There's an old oil tank in the ground over there. We don't use it. We replaced it a few years ago with an above-ground tank. And when I cut down this tree two years ago, I found wet oil in the middle of the tree. So I think the roots of the tree must have grown through the old oil tank and into the remaining oil that was left in the tank. And I said, well, doesn't that mean that there's a hole in the oil tank now and the oil could be leaking out into the ground? He said, yep. And he said, I just want to show you that the well for the bathhouse is right there beside it. And the water line for that building over there goes right through there. And by the way, if the leak 
gets deep enough to hit the water table, I don't really know where it could stop. There's a creek at the bottom of the hill right there. And I said to him, wait a second, you found this two years ago. Didn't you tell the last executive director? I said, what did he say? And he said, he told me to cover the, stir the stump up with dirt, which I did. And by the way, if you want me to cover it up, I'll do that. In a Tove church culture, justice is doing the right thing. And it should be a leading theme in a Tove church. In a toxic church culture, loyalty to the leader or the brand takes precedence over doing the right thing. At times, the difference between justice and loyalty is a subtle difference, but they're at odds with each other often, and the difference is massive. Let me put this quote on the screen if I have it. I think I have it here. In many churches today, Christians are asked to choose between loyalty and justice. Justice, doing the right thing, is taking care of the stump problem, taking care of the oil tank, taking care of the oil leak, preventing the well from being contaminated, preventing the leak from spreading. That is justice. Loyalty to the brand is being willing to turn a blind eye to justice, to turn a blind eye to the right thing, to put the brand, the place, the organization ahead of the right thing, to uphold the organization at the expense of justice, to uphold the organization at the expense of justice. Loyalty to the brand is being so afraid of the consequences that you're not willing to do the right thing. And that is a problem. Now hear me, in this particular situation, it would mean digging up the ground. It would mean calling the DEP. It would mean testing the ground. It would mean testing the water. It would mean inviting the government into the nonprofit that's already on the edge of financial ruin to potentially be fined and potentially then be closed down. The cost is high to do the right thing. Justice is doing the right thing. Loyalty to the brand is being so afraid to do the right thing, so afraid of the consequences that you put justice on the back burner. Kyle shared that the worship team recently learned that one of the main producers of the music that we do on Sunday morning uh, are, are publishing dangerous theology. And it's not just one or two people, but it's this entire church, it's their school of ministry, and they have a school attached to the church that puts out, that puts, you know, degrees, degrees for the students that then puts them into ministry. <clears throat> it's not just one or two people loosely connected, but they're deliberately propagating the false teaching, and they have a plan to then spread it across the country. We could simply go through our music, and we could take out any music that has questionable lyrics that support the false teaching. We protect our people. We protect our hearts this way. We preserve our worship team because then we don't lose many songs and we can keep doing the songs that we know. 
But every time we play a song, we give money to an organization that is deliberately spreading false teachings across the country and the globe. So how does it look for us to say, I disagree? Here you go. No, 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 I disagree. Here you go. No, seriously, I disagree with them. Here you go. Do I really disagree with them? I mean, really. Am I holding the line? Not really. What's the right thing? Justice is taking a stand, although it's hard, although it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost to stop giving money to an organization that claims to promote Jesus, but isn't. Loyalty to the brand is ignoring the problem and continuing to play the music. What's the cost? The cost is high to our worship team. The cost is high to our congregation because we're gonna have to learn some new songs. The cost is high to the worship team because they're gonna have to learn some new songs. But that's okay because we have the choice to make. Do we, do we put on our, our big kid britches and move forward? Or do we make the easy choice and choose to put off justice because it's the easy thing to do. Loyalty can foster unethical behavior. Um, research has shown that employees that are too loyal to their organization are less likely to blow the whistle on corruption. They feel that they are part of a community and they want to protect the community, which means that they will overlook wrongdoing. At the headquarters of Toshiba in Japan, Leaders cultivated a strong norm of loyalty as part of their company culture. They led employees to believe that they would receive a near lifetime appointment if they demonstrated commitment to the organization, its goals, and its people. Because of this, senior management was able to get away with an accounting scandal for years and years and years and years. Most all the employees were aware that senior level management was stealing hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. But they remained quiet in large part because they thought they were doing it for the company's best interest. That comes from um, Harvard Business Review, an article. Harvard Business Review, their best advice. So this is, this is not church, this is not a spiritual thing. Harvard Business Review. Their best advice is if you see something, say something. When something looks or feels wrong, say something to your colleagues or your managers. Although your loyalty to your organization may lead you to worry about rocking the boat, remember that silence is often what enables wrongdoing to continue. That's Harvard. Tell me that doesn't sound just like we've been talking about in Tove. Silence enables wrongdoing to continue. Silence enables wrongdoing to continue. But who do you talk to? Because if church isn't a safe place, isn't a Tove place, then you have no one to talk to. This is the importance of making sure that we cultivate a safe atmosphere in our churches so that if you see something, you can say something to somebody. If you don't have a safe person to talk to, if you don't believe that somebody will listen to you in the church, then it's no wonder that you don't say anything if you see something. We have to cultivate a safe atmosphere in our church 
for the sake of the future of our church, for the sake of the future of our children. If we don't cultivate a safe atmosphere, if we don't have approachable people, if we don't have folks who are here that you can trust to say something to them, there is no future of the church. This stuff happens too often, too regularly. You need to believe you can talk to people. Rachel Den Hollander is a former gymnast. She was one of the first women who publicly accused the well-known and respected team physician for USA Gymnastics, Larry Nasser, of sexual assault. You guys remember the Larry Nasser case? It's not that old. Um, when the court case was all said and done, it would come out that Nasser had assaulted at least, okay, at least 265 young women. 265 under the guise of medical treatment from 1992 to 2018. That's a long time for people to remain silent, to go unchecked. During the court case, Larry Nasser talked about forgiveness, talked about being forgiven. And in open court, Rachel made a statement. It was televised, and so maybe some of you even saw it if you followed the court case closely enough. But I want to read to you the statement that she made because I think it's, it's a pretty incredible statement. But it speaks to some of the things that some of you have sent me messages about, about things like justice. She said this. She said, you spoke of praying for forgiveness. But Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing, and that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet, because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found, and it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. She read that to him in court. Now here's the interesting thing. Rachel Den Holler was abused by Larry Nasser. She's one of the first women to step up and make the public accusation to get the court case rolling, and then many other women also came forward. Women, gymna gymnasts that you would know, Olympic gymnasts, Olympic gold medal medalists. Um, in an interview with the magazine Christianity Today, Rachel Denhollander notes that she receives unbelievable support from her Christian community when this whole thing is happening, when she is in open court facing Larry Nasser, when she's leading the charge with women um, against him. But it's flipped suddenly. When a um, well-known church leader who is in the midst of allegations of abuse 
is invited to speak at her church. And she says, this is wrong. He should not be coming here because he is in the midst of a court case. Don't let him come here. Suddenly, the elders of her church came to her and her husband individually and told her her church is not a good fit for her. She got all kinds of support when it was somebody outside of her church, but suddenly when it was somebody in her church, when it was somebody in the church, when it was an evangelical leader that she spoke up about, she pretty much got kicked out of her church for speaking up. Den Hollander said in this interview with Christianity Today, she said, we are very happy to use sexual assault as a convenient whipping block when it's outside of our community, but when it was within our community, the immediate response was to vilify the victims or to say things that were at times blatantly and demonstrably untrue about the organization and the leader of the organization. There was a complete refusal to engage with the evidence. That's heavy. That's heavy. We have to guard ourselves and our own biases because we can't be judgmental folks of everything that happens outside of these walls and then the moment something happens within them, suddenly turn a blind eye. That is hypocrisy and there should be no room for it in this place. Christ calls us to something much better than that. We need to be better than that. We need to follow the example of Christ if we ever walk that road. And the example of Christ tells us to walk away from hypocrisy. What is justice? That's really what it comes down to, I think. This is the best definition that I can think of for justice. The world defines justice as a lot of different things. Justice is the standard by which we measure what is right. But the world has a lot of standards to measure what is right. We could measure it by the Constitution if we wanted to. We could measure it by the letter of the law. We could have a personal moral code that tells us what is right. Christians need something more than that. It can't be so arbitrary to say a personal moral code. Justice is behavior that measures up to what God has revealed to us in Christ Jesus. If we truly believe, and I hope we do, that Jesus Christ is the perfect example of God, if we truly believe that Jesus Christ is God come in flesh, if we believe the incarnation is real, then we need to look at Jesus Christ as the supreme example to follow. So justice is the behavior that measures up to what God has revealed to us in, in Christ. There is no law or legal code that demands love. But Christ does demand love of us. There is no law that requires compassion or empathy. But Christ does. There is no law that demands grace. But Christ does. And because of the things that Christ demands of his followers, our sense of justice as Christians will be and should be radically different from what the rest of the world understands as justice. It should be. You as a follower of Jesus should look different from the rest of the world. You should be set apart. You should look different. You shouldn't blend in. 
I'm not asking you to dress in plain clothes and wear a really gigantic hat or, or something like we did 70 years ago, but your life should look different in a number of ways, and this is one of them. Your sense of justice should be tuned to Jesus, not to the world. Your sense of justice should be tied to love, compassion, empathy, and grace in a way that folks who do not know Jesus would not have it tied to. Now, I have four Tove steps to share with you. They're not long, but that's how we're going to end today. Four Tove steps, and they're simple. One, know what justice looks like. And that's why we took the time to talk about a couple stories this morning. We talked about a stump, we talked about Bethel Music, Toshiba, and we talked about Rachel Den Hollander. We have to get in the practice of asking ourselves, is this justice or is this brand loyalty? This isn't a question we just ask ourselves in church. This has got to be a question that we ask ourselves every day of our lives. When we buy our coffee, even in our little old town, where we buy our coffee, are we choosing to look the other way about questionable business practices or, or ethical practices at the local places that we're spending our money? Or where we buy our clothing? Are we purchasing and promoting brands that use child labor? Are we turning a blind eye to these injustices and choosing to make less waves in areas of our lives that just make it easier? Because when we, when we don't ask those hard questions in other areas of our lives, it makes it easier to not ask those hard questions in areas of our lives like church. Number two, recognize injustice and do something about it. In front of your bulletin, just pick it up for a second, if you grabbed one. There's a quote. I put it on on purpose. Anybody recognize the name? Malala? I placed a quote there by her. She's the youngest woman to ever receive the Nobel Peace Prize. She was born in 1997 in Pakistan, where, in a place where the Taliban ruled. She was a teenager. Um, she wrote a blog under a false name about educational rights for young women. Her father was an education activist, which that alone is dangerous enough in a place where the Taliban rule. But as a young woman, she, she adopted her father's beliefs, and she also began to write about them. She began to advocate for them. Um, she, she gave radio interviews about this as a young teenager, about girls should be able to learn. They should be able to go to school. She gave a television interview. The New York Times ended up doing a documentary about her as Pakistani forces moved in to try and get rid of the Taliban in the area. And because of her activism, because people took her so seriously, because she was making such a difference in the area, the Taliban tried to assassinate her on October 9th, 2012, at the age of 15. After taking a test at school and on the way home from school on the bus, the Taliban approached her bus and they shot her in the head. Somehow she survived. I don't know how. For days in a coma and unconscious, from one hospital to the next after it was safe to move her. See, this is injustice. 
It was seen as injustice, even in a place in the world like Pakistan, even in a place where they're split because of the religion that they have, even in a place where the Taliban ruled, it was seen as injustice. It sparked outrage among the locals. International support poured in for her. The world united in calling this injustice, but what could be done, and what could be done to her attackers who believed that they were following their religion in doing this, what could be done to get her justice? The top 50 Muslim imams in Pakistan gathered together and they issued a fatwa. And that's a legal ruling. And you only need one imam to do that. But 50 of the most powerful imams got together and together they issued a legal ruling of Islamic law against her attackers. They condemned them. They condemned their understanding of the Islamic faith that led to the attack on Malala. They made them outlaws. They denied them hospitality. The 50 most powerful imams in Pakistan took away any question as to whether any person who followed the Muslim faith should have loyalty to the brand of injustice that they used or whether or not they should pursue justice. They did something about it. They recognized injustice and they did something about it. Malala has gone on to finish high school, got a college degree, she founded a nonprofit, she's an advocate for education rights today. She's written a book, addressed governments on the issue of education, got the Nobel Peace Prize and she's 25 years old. Pretty incredible story. Recognize injustice. Do something about it. Number three, recognize the fallout. And this is what I said before. There will always be a cost to doing the right thing. This is an undeniable fact. Jesus warned his disciples, before you follow me, count the cost. There's always a cost. Don't build a tower without making sure you have all the materials. One king doesn't go to war without making sure they have enough soldiers. Anybody who does those things looks like a fool if they get halfway through it and they don't finish it. So it's the same with somebody who follows Jesus halfway and realizes they don't have the courage to finish. There is a cost to doing the right thing. There is a cost to doing the justice thing. There is a cost to doing the Tove thing. And a church called Tove is a church filled with courageous people who are willing to do the right thing despite the cost. And I have a feeling that it's going to depend on one another to keep encouraging, in, encouraging each other to do the right thing. Because we all falter. We all have second guesses. We all wonder if it's worth it. But it is. It is absolutely worth it. Count the cost. Recognize the fallout. But continue on. And last one, number four. Tell stories about doing the right thing. That's what I did this morning. That's what I'm trying to do today. Stories and courage. We live in stories. I mean, we remember stories. Better than facts, better than dates, is stories. Stories teach us. 
Stories are shared in Sunday school. They're shared over cups of coffee. They're shared in the lobby. They're, they're shared at the door in the back here. They're shared among each other. I, they're shared each week on the phone. We live in stories. Stories are what our children remember. More than a sermon, more than a, a theology, more than a, a class they take before they get baptized, more than anything else, they're gonna remember a story. Share the stories about doing the right thing because those are the things that are gonna make the biggest difference to our children who are gonna grow up someday and they're gonna be leading this church. They're gonna be the ones who are gonna, gonna make this thing something else when we're all gone. And if we wanna pass on what it means to be tove, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to make a difference outside of this place, which I think is the whole point. Tell stories about doing the right thing so that they can remember what it means to do the right thing when they walk out those doors. Tell stories, because those are our witnesses. Those are our testimonies. Those are the things that we are gonna remember. There are reminders, there are warnings. <sighs> Justice is behavior that measures up to what God has revealed to us in Christ. Tell stories about that. Tell stories about justice. May Kanoi be a part of those stories. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together. Thank you.